All right. Thank you so much, guys, for having me in this class. I'm not Chris Best. I'm not uh, Pastor Sam. I don't have a ton of funny Southern sayings, like just to sling at you, but, um, you know, God met with me in Mark 8, and prayerfully, I just consider um, that he would meet with you guys too. And I'm humbled just to be here speaking in front of so many people I look up to in ministry, including Scott. And Scott led me and my wife and new members almost uh, three years ago. He had a different watch at the time. It was like a bright yellow. Yeah. Oh, different bands. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, I spent, I spent several hours, um, well, more than that in this message, but a few hours in, I had my title done. It was, who will you choose to serve? And, and then I thought to myself, uh, do I have any, like, any avid readers or people who enjoy English class growing up? Zero reader. Here we go. Okay. No, there, there's a question coming right now. So <laughs> I thought to myself, is that the correct grammar? I thought, who? Or is it supposed to be whom? Ooh. Do we have any, any, bold, any bold people who, who are whom? Is it who? Is that, do, do I have a whom? You, hmm? And I may have got this wrong. <laughs> it is it is whom okay so a quick well okay i believe it's whom if if there's a teach if there's like a teacher for english in here you pull me aside afterwards we'll fix this and i'll send an email to you guys make sure it gets announced by gail next week correct my problem but um the way you can fix that is answer the question i i choose to serve he or i choose to serve him it makes more sense grammatically to say him and him points towards whom. So if it has an M with him, then it has an M with whom. <laughs> Anyways, that's like probably the world's worst introduction ever. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of a fun little, fun little grammar lesson. Oh, and uh, what time should I be done? I'm looking at the clock and I know you guys break up into groups. Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for con some context, we're going to be in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. Um, in our Kaya UMKC Bible studies, we're currently, we were working our way really slowly through the book of Mark. It's been almost a year now, and we're eight chapters in. Um, and each gospel account looks slightly different from the other. And so Matthew points at Jesus being the sovereign king. It's very Jewish-centric gospel. Uh, Luke's is pointing at Jesus being the savior for all mankind. And then John is Jesus as the I am or the living word of God. And Mark specifically is pointing to Jesus being the servant to mankind. And that, that's a key word. I bolded and underlined it there. Uh, we're going to be talking about servanthood and service um, throughout all of today's message. And um, we're going to focus on that today. And Jesus served in many different ways during his time here on earth. You know, he healed people from sicknesses and illnesses. He delivered people from devils and unclean spirits. Uh, he physically fed people. Remember the loaves and the fishes that he multiplied uh, se several times. Uh, and then he also taught them. Uh, Mark's a very action-packed gospel. There's 16 chapters. All the other gospel accounts have more than 20. Um, and so... There's a lot of examples 
of uh, Jesus serving and a little bit less than the other gospels of Jesus teaching. And so it's something that, that we do see throughout the gospel of Mark. Um, right here. Oh, gotta, I got to know my own slides better. Here we go. Sorry, I'm going to be doing that like the whole time. Okay. Um, but we see, uh, and we know from coming to church uh, for, on Sundays, if you're new, here's a little, a little hint. Jesus didn't just come to meet our physical needs with bread and with water, uh, with comfort and shelter in him. Uh, but he, he came to meet our spiritual needs. That was the primary goal of Christ uh, coming to earth. Um, he gave up his whole life to serve you, I'm oh, sorry, you, and to serve me. And from the very beginning of Mark in uh, chapter one, verse 15, this is right after Christ is baptized by John the Baptist and Christ is then tempted in the wilderness. The verse right after that, starting in 15, uh, Christ proclaims the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Uh, the gospel of Mark uh, is calling to us uh, to listen and to hear the gospel that Christ has for us. And so uh, I know most of the faces in this room, and while I don't know you guys deeply and intimately and personally, I think a lot of us do have uh, testimonies of salvation and having placed our faith in Christ. Um, a lot of this message is going to be geared towards uh, you believers. Um, this is about the service that we are called um, to live now that we are saved. What do we do now? What do we do after that? Um, and so. Praise God that he's given us the gift of salvation through his grace. Um, but that's not where our Christian walks should end. Uh, there's more past that. And so uh, an example, the Great Commission. There's a lot of verbs in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Again, teaching, second time, them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, an encouragement. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. And so we're, we're not called to just get saved and live a cozy life. Uh, the fact that, Wagi, you're traveling halfway around the world to minister in a fairly uh, dangerous area to proclaim faith and being a Christian, and being, you said, an ambassador of Christ, uh, that's, that's living. That's, that's, you're living your life to be a servant unto Christ. And I'm, I'm so encouraged by testimonies like that. And it's not just Wagi in this room. It's a lot of people in this room who serve Christ with their life. And I, I hope that this message is an encouragement to you guys, as well as um, kind of a nudge in the right direction. And I need that too. I'm not here standing on my soapbox preaching at you. Uh, this message preached to me. And so before we uh, get started into the meat of it, uh, let's pray and continue on. Lord, thank you so much for just this opportunity, God, to Share what you've showed me through your word, Lord. And um, I resonate with Paul. I feel like I'm, I'm the least. And the fact, Lord, that you would have Chris ask me to fill in. God, I'm, uh, I'm very honored, Lord, and I'm, I'm humbled. And God, if anything, uh, just move me aside. And uh, God, I pray that your word would speak to us through me. Lord, and that it would be your word that does the growing and the changing and the convicting and the saving, God. And thank you for this time. I do pray that it glorifies you, Lord. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, yeah, we're called to service. Uh, this is going to be uh, the bulk of our passage. This is going to be where we're going to live today. Most of the time, we're just going to spend in verse 34. And at the very end, we're going to hit on the rest, but then we'll be done. So, I was thinking uh, for a while um, about how to outline this passage. And it's so nice that uh, God comes through, uses his spirit to show me that verse 34 is a great outline. It's a great context. We see um, uh, whosoever, uh, he says to them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And today we're going to really look at what that actually means. It kind of just flies off the tongue. You know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow it's, it's so easy to hear in the ears. It's so easy for me to say that. But what, what does that actually mean for us, like literally in our life daily? What does it look like to wake up and deny ourselves, or to take up our cross and to follow Christ? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, for some, I think, next slide. Yes. Um, yeah, Jesus has been uh, ministering primarily in the area of the Sea of Galilee. He's been performing miracles of healing, um, teaching not only the, the disciples themselves, but the multitudes around them. And we've seen Christ even has the ability of commanding the nature itself. Remember Jesus calming the winds and calming the storms in the sea when the disciples are frightened. Um, even Psalm, in Psalms 89 verse 9, thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. But there's all these miracles going on throughout the book of Mark. And we're all the way in chapter eight, we're halfway through. And there's so many examples of Christ being the son of God. Um, God, sorry, God proclaims Christ as his son in Mark 1, verse 11. And that reads, and there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God from the get-go proclaims Christ as his son. In Mark 3, evil spirits proclaim Christ as the son of God. It says in verse 11, and unclean spirits when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. So even the spirits uh, know the truth and know the true nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, Legion does the same thing. Had a ton of evil spirits inside of him. This was in Mark 5. He proclaims Christ the Son of God. But it, it's not until the chapter we're in, in Mark 8, that we see actually mankind proclaim Christ as the Son of God. And it's Peter who does this. So... If we look at verse 27, it says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Verse 28. And they answered and said, or and they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias and others one of the prophets. And he, Christ, saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ, which is, uh, which is really beautiful. It's the first time that mankind's proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. And again, it's taken the whole, half the book is done. Mark, we're in Mark 8, Mark 16, uh, Jesus is dead and risen for us. And so sometimes mankind is slow to respond. I think some of us can really connect with that with our personal walks in faith. I know I have connected with that in previous years. Uh, but glory be to God that he does use us and he grows us in ministry, the love of his word through time with him. He uses his spirit to teach us these things. 
Um, in Mark 8, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. So Jesus, after seeing the faith of Peter and proclaiming him as Christ and trust more with him, um, verse 31 says, and he began to teach them uh, that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And so Peter proclaims faith in Christ being the son of God, and immediately this is, this is the first time Christ is telling him the future, how the book ends, the story of the life of Christ, is he has to die and then raise again three days later. And Peter, having done so well in professing Jesus Christ, you know, he, he was probably like way up here, you know, tooting his own horn. No, I was the first one to do that, Jesus. You knew it. You saw it. And then he decides it's also a good idea starting now to rebuke the truth that Jesus just shared. What, is, what does Peter do? Um, verse 33, or uh, yeah, Peter rebukes Christ and tells him that isn't so. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but there's probably several times in each, each one of our lives where we have done something similar. And one instance, not faith-related at all, but I do like riding bikes occasionally. Uh, and I have for some years. And speaking of that, when I was a freshman in college, just trying to learn how to wheelie. Maybe some of you guys learn how to do that when you're like little kids when it's appropriate instead of being like a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old trying to learn that. Uh, and I, I held it for several seconds and all my friends saw. They're like, yeah, way to go. And I was in a parking lot. And then I also thought it'd be cool to practice like my front stops where your back wheel comes up. Oh, and I, I squeezed the brake too hard, too, too much. And then it went all the way over and on my face on the concrete. I feel like that's a how Peter felt in this situation, you know, proclaiming Jesus as the son of God and then immediately rebuking him, kind of falling on his face. Anyways, we, we've all been there. It's easy to relate to Peter. It's easy to point fingers. It's also easy to relate uh, to how he comes short so, so frequently. Um, okay, and we can see in Jesus's words here, he says, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Um, we can see from his words that in order to follow him, we must learn to separate our worldly desires from the things that be of God. And it, it isn't an easy thing to do, uh, but it is necessary. And finally, after all that, all the context, all the background, we're finally in to the, the meat of the message for verse 34. And let's read it one more time. So verse 34 in Mark 8 says, And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever, uh, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, those words cause me to reflect about what I'm prioritizing in my life. And it's going to be a theme throughout this, this whole message. And so we see here's, here's going to be the outline. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross and take steps in obedience to follow Christ. And that's what we're going to look at the rest of today. And so for denying ourselves, uh, deny throughout scripture, it means to affirm uh, that, that one has no acquaintance or connection with another. Uh, 
to just say, we are separate. We have nothing to do with each other. Don't look at me. Don't look at you. We're good. We're separate. And that's what denying means. And Christ is calling that to do that to ourselves. So what does that, what does that look like? So specifically, Christ is saying, whosoever will come after me. He's talking to people who are followers. He's talking to believers. Um, and us being believers, we know after we receive the gift of salvation, we have, we have two different forms. We have the old man, how he used to live in sin and in death. And we have the new man, uh, the, the gift that we have through Christ, that we just live unto Christ. Um, so what does it mean when Christ tells us that we must deny ourselves. Uh, it means that we are, are to recognize that we no longer are servants of self or belong to ourselves, but are servants of Christ and belong to Christ. And so when I say that, it makes me think immediately of Paul, the apostle Paul. Um, throughout all of his New Testament writings, he's consistently communicating that he, he is lower than the low. He is the least of the apostles and he is not worthy to preach the gospel, but he's called to it. And so he does it and he's faithful. Um, we see in Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. He's dead, he's dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So he's still alive. He's dead, but he's alive. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And a life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans 6, 8, Paul also writes, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, Paul writes, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. So Paul's saying in these verses that um, we are no longer acquainted with our old self, um, but rather with the new self who's alive with Christ and in Christ. And this is what we need to understand regarding how to die to ourself. Uh, it's dying to our old self and our former ways and living unto our new ways in Christ. Because we're alive in Christ. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Christ, taking your sin from you, bearing it on the cross, dying and raising again, man, you're saved. You have the new man in you and praise God for it. Uh, but we need to walk in a newness of life once that is true of us. And so we're not commanded to die to self alone. Each one, each three, or sorry, all of those verses uh, we're dying with Christ, alongside Christ. Christ led the, he led the way. He is the example. He died first, uh, but we're called to die with him. And in that, we get a newness of life also with Christ and in Christ. This isn't, this isn't a one-man show or one-man rodeo where we wake up and it's like, oh, I got to die to myself today. That's great. And then it's just you. It's not, it's not true. Christ is right there with you. And lo, I am with you, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So key point number one, I don't know if Chris does key points, but Brandon does, so I'm rolling with it. The servant of Christ partakes in his death. So the servant of Christ, uh, the believer in Christ, partakes in his death. We must deny ourselves, die to ourselves, separate our two natures. And we see life requires death. Um, I thought these pictures were really pretty, so I added them. Um, farmers oftentimes burn their fields for greater crop yield. Uh, mainly it's to burn out all the weeds and all the other plants that are growing in to fight for the nutrients and fight for the water that they want their wheat and their corn to grow. Um, this is a, my, my lovely wife pointed this out to me, um, that there's this tree called a lodgepole pine and it grows, it grows in mountainous areas, but its cone actually is coated in like a natural resin. 
and it has seeds inside this cone, but there's this barrier on the outside. And it's not until, the seeds cannot get planted in the ground to reproduce until there's a fire that consumes the cone. Uh, there's a death to the cone that is necessary for those seeds to bear fruit. And that's a really beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. We're all familiar with this, the cross on the hill. Uh, Jesus died for us that we may have life in him and through him. Uh, we, see, we see that throughout scripture. Um, there's a couple of verses on this. And again, uh, Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 3, he says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And then Christ himself in John chapter 12, this is verse 24. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, which means, listen, listen, this is important. I'm saying this to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. That, that means if the corn of wheat does not decide to drop and die in the ground, it's alone. But if it die, if it gets dropped into the ground and planted, it bringeth forth much fruit. Um, guys, we're, we're called... Nature proclaims it. Christ has proclaimed it. Paul wrote it. And we're called to die to ourselves and deny ourselves. So we've covered part one out of three, and that's going to make us uh, head on to taking up our cross. Um, I was thinking of like a funny visual. Well, it's not that funny, but like bearing your own physical cross every day and trying to go about life, dragging this big wooden plank behind you. That's not like, obviously it's not what Christ is calling us to do. This is, this is a, a figure of speech that Christ is using um, to point towards what he physically did, bore his cross and what that meant for him. Um, there are things we can glean from God's word. Um, I was looking through some cross references and in Luke 14, it's interesting. Uh, there's two verses fairly close together. They're spaced apart, six or seven verses, uh, but they have a very similar format and they both end the exact same way. So we see whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we, we see what it looks like for someone who bears a cross and comes after him um, can be his disciple for someone who doesn't cannot. We're called to do that. And similarly, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so by comparing scripture with scripture, and I'm not, I'm not Sam said this in the, in the last sermon uh, just a few minutes ago. He's like, uh, I cannot be emphatic about this, uh, but if I had to guess, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm not going to proclaim one equals the other, but I think God gave us a good context and good clues at learning what it looks like to bear our cross. And I think what we're trying to communicate through his word is that whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Forsaking all that we have is how we as believers in Christ are called to bear our cross um, by putting all the wants, the needs, well, the, the desires. We have needs, but the wants and the desires behind um, in preference for Christ. And that made me think uh, for myself, what things do I have? What, what has God given me that I need to let go of? Um, God's given me an amazing wife, a very beautiful wife who's here today. Um, he's given me a job. I've had a consistent job for four and a half, five years now. Um, and it's, it's a fun job, you know. Scott's wearing it right now. He's wearing a Garmin. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, he's given me my family. Um, 
I still got all my family members. Uh, I have hobbies, too many. Maybe some of you can relate. <laughs> uh, financial security, comfort. Um, and I have wants for my future. You know, as a person in the flesh, there are things that when I look five, 10 years down the road that I want my life to look like, but do those things line up with what Christ wants my life to look like? All these things, this whole list, um, I'm being called uh, to set that aside in preference for Christ. And Christ isn't calling us to be vagabond Christians. He's not calling us to drop everything and go on the road with just a sack of potatoes and a Bible. Although, I mean, that'd be kind of cool, but I, he's not calling us to do that. <laughs> um, we, can't, we can't let this list that we have, and all of you know your own list. Um, I communicated mine, but we can't let these things interfere with our love of God and his will in our lives. Um, there's a parable of a Lord giving uh, his servants talents. And talents just is little coins, like uh, a dime, penny. I'm not sure what that correlates to today. I, you guys maybe can't even see that, and I'm not going to read it word for word. Uh, but their Lord is going out of town. He's got three servants. He gives one servant five talents, another servant two, and the last servant one, each according to their own abilities. Um, and then while, he's, while the Lord is out of town, uh, each of these servants does something unique with their talents. The one who received five goes out and trades it among others, and he gets five more. He invests it. He get, so he has, now has ten talents. That's a great thing. Uh, the other servant does a very similar thing with his two. He gains two more. He now has four. But the last servant was given one talent. And what does he do? He buries it. Yes. He goes out in the field and he buries it because he's afraid. He's afraid of losing what his God, or not his God, his Lord, his master or commander had given him. Um, and what that, what that, the picture that that paints for us is that the servants who took the talents that they were given by their Lord and invested it, they brought great joy to their Lord. Um, what does it say? His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Uh, this pleased their master. This pleased their Lord. Um, the second servant gets the exact same response. Um, the third servant gets a very different kind of response. It's the last one here, verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant. So the servant who hid his talent was met with great disdain. Um, and why? It's because the servant was focused on the preservation of the talent itself rather than the joy it would bring his Lord in being faithful with using it. Um, so what has God given you that hasn't yet been yielded to him? God's given us all things. We're all here. We all have clothes. We all got here one way or another, whether it was a bus or a car or a bike or our feet. Um, we're all living and breathing. He's given us life. Um, God's given us everything we need, and we have so much. I mean, we hear about even the persecution in India and South Sudan. Like, we're free to gather in here, and no, one is, no one's killing us for it. And praise the Lord for that. Uh, God's given us abundant things. Um, but we're called to yield these things to him in preference for what Christ has done for us. An example of this would be our salvation. Uh, for all of us in here who have placed our faith in Christ, we have that. It's done eternally, forever until we die. We'll be with him in heaven. Uh, but are we called to keep that to ourselves? You know, like this little line of mine, I'm going to hide it under 
uh, shelf or a bushel. No, right? That's how the song goes. Uh, no, we're, we're called to share it. You know, we, we've been given the free gift of eternal life. We're called to share that. Um, I'd encourage you to do it. And I'm not the perfect example of that. Um, there's still so much room to grow at a UMKC Bible study where students come in from around the world or just down the road in Kansas City. There are lost souls that need to be saved. And so God's given me the gift of salvation. and He's calling me to use that for his glory, not to keep that talent and bury it and hide it away, right? And so key point number two, the, the servant of Christ surrenders his riches. The servant of Christ surrenders his riches. And I'm sure most of you guys get this, but not just financially. Uh, riches represent anything we're holding close to our hearts, near and dear to ourselves. Uh, could, even be, could even be your children, you know? Children are near and dear to all of us. I don't have any yet, but I am a child, and I know my father loves me dearly. And so, um, yeah, servant of Christ surrenders his riches. Um, there is a rich young ruler um, in the Bible. I don't have the verses up here, uh, but he asked Christ, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? He asked Christ that. And Jesus tells him that if thou that if he shall sell all that, his, all that is his and give to the poor, he shall have treasure in heaven. Uh, but what does the rich young ruler do? Uh, he, walks he walks away. Yeah, is he happy about it or is he sad about it? Sad. Yeah, he's sad about it. He says, but when the young ruler heard this saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. God had given to him greatly, but he also had called to him greatly. There was action needed on his end. He needed to be a servant with what he was given. Um, this young ruler was unwilling to forsake his earthly riches for heavenly riches. And that's hard to do. It's hard to have an eternal perspective day to day. And we all have times where we cling on to those things that we have. But God's called us to forsake those things. Um, and finally, um, we need to take steps in obedience to follow Christ. And I was trying to think of an illustration and I, I think I have time to actually give a funny story about your pastor, Chris. Um, so we were, me, my, so myself, Larry Smith, and Chris Best were on a bike ride. It's called a Tour de Lakes. There, I guess there's some lakes in Lee Summit, you know, people ride their bikes around them. And I, I joined them. They told me about it. And it was like 60 miles. And I didn't feel incredibly prepared for it. Neither did Chris. Larry felt fine because he bikes all the time now. So uh, we were doing this ride. And when it was, when the ground was flat, and the wind was at our backs, you know, getting blown along. Chris was right there. He was, he was hanging on. He was part of the team. But when adversity would come, when the hills were steep, man, Chris, Chris was having a hard time following. He was not a part of the pack. Me and Larry are like, follow me. Follow me. Just like right here. And Chris would be like, go. <laughs> I'll catch you at the top of the hill. <laughs> and Chris, if you watch this later, you know I love you. So... <laughs> Um, that's a silly example. Um, one thing could be, you know, let's say you start at church and you're going on a walk and you ask for someone to come alongside to follow you. They say, yeah, I'm going to follow you. Trust me. I'll be, I'll be right there, right behind you. You, you know, you walk from 40th and Walnut, you get through Westport, maybe you get some bubble tea or coffee or something. And you go up to Union Hill and down to the crossroads and you make your way to downtown. And before you continue your walk across the river into North KC, 
you look back and your friend is like nowhere to be seen. Okay, silly example, didn't even happen. I'm not gonna walk that far. <laughs> uh, but it was he or she your follower at all. You know, they claim to be, they say, I'm, I'm a follower of you. I'm right there, trust me. But you look back when you're six and a half or four and a half miles north, whatever it is, and they're not there. Uh, are they actually following? And we do that. You know, we profess Christ and we know, we feel the Holy Spirit nudge us to do something, to share the gospel, uh, to give even a physical resource to somebody in need. And we kind of hold that back, right? Um, but yet we proclaim to be followers of Christ. Well, it's, it's, and again, I'm preaching to myself, but it's time to confront ourselves with that realization and that truth. Um, Christ is calling us to be a follower of him right here. Whosoever will come after me, deny, take up your cross and follow me. Um, John 14, verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. This is Christ talking. Luke chapter six, verse 46. Why call me, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I think Mark Trotter spoke about that maybe a year and a half ago um, at a conference here at MBT. Way more powerful than what I just did right there. <laughs> Lord, Lord, <laughs> and squat down a little. No, <laughs> he's missed. Um, and I, I've been the stagnant Christian before, you know, afraid of opening my mouth and getting with the lost world, surrounded by friends, coworkers at Garmin um, who don't know Christ, who didn't even grow up in the church. And uh, it's hard for some reason. It's scary to open our mouths to talk about Christ, what he's done. But Christ has done a real thing in us, and we're called to, we're called to profess that uh, and be faithful in that. Um, and yeah, like Christ wants my future, you know, and it's not mine. It is Christ. You know, I'm, I'm dead to my old man, and I'm living uh, in my new life with Christ. And we're talking about obedience, and I'm not trying to make this whole thing about, about me speaking to you, but... Uh, me getting in front of a, a room full of like grown adults, like real adults <laughs> and speaking and kind of just being in the spotlight is not something I'd like really desire or yearn for. Julia knows this. I'd rather be a follower and like a little faithful sheep that always gets told something to do and I do it. And that's how it goes. You know, preaching and leading is challenging and it's scary for me to even just be here talking to you guys. But, uh, Chris, one of my pastors has asked me to fill the pulpit and I know Chris follows Christ. I need to follow Chris and be obedient and to take this offer and be faithful with it. And there's something that Christ is doing in each and every one of your lives that needs that same type of faithfulness and the same response of yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will. Um, this is our last key point. Number three, the servant of Christ obeys his Lord. The servant of Christ obeys his Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're going to go back to our core verse one last time. Um, so verse 34, it calls us, oops, let me go back. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and to follow him, to be obedient uh, so what, what does that, what does that get us? You know, what, what does that get us? It's 
Christ could have ended right there. I mean, he is Lord of our lives. And he, he could have just stopped talking, but yet he continues on in verse 35. Uh, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, if we lose our lives, we will find it in Christ. Christ promises us this in this passage here. Uh, what are we, what are we valuing? You know, what are we savoring? You know, Peter savored not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. There we go. Yeah, I'm not like Sam. Sam gets it every time. He's just like, ah, oh, man. Everybody in the everybody in the crowd. <laughs> I'll work on it. But yeah, do you? Do you relate to Peter? Because I, I know I do. All the time, I'm saving the things of man, the things that be of this world. But with an eternal perspective, when we're meeting with Jesus, um, you know, what, what was all this earthly, worldly treasure for? It, it, all, it all burns, you know, except for the two eternal things, things the souls of men uh, and the word of God. So we need to be about those things. It's hard, but daily we're called to deny ourselves. Uh, Paul even found it necessary to die daily. He says that, I forget, the, I forget the cross-reference, but Paul himself, the author of most of our New Testament, had to choose daily that he had to, to die to himself and to deny himself. And so we need to follow Paul's example. Yeah, do you savor the things of God or the things of men? Uh, in closing, um, this is going to be our final cross-reference down here, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. So if ye then uh, be risen with Christ, if you're saved, if you've placed your faith in Christ, this is talking to believers here, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. This has been a, a thematic verse throughout our Bible study that I'm in at UMKC. Uh, for several months, is to set our affection on things above. Let's be a people who are all about, all about Christ and living out what he's called us to do. Let's be faithful servants. Christ is the ultimate servant. He did all the work. He did all the heavy carrying. He made the sacrifice. He, he died for us to make a way for us to be made right with God the Father. And for everybody in here um, who has put their faith and belief in that, man, you're my brother and you're my sister. Uh, in Christ. Uh, but maybe there's somebody in here and some people in here this morning who are on the fence about what you believe. Um, maybe you've been coming for a long time and hearing, hearing Sam, hearing Chris, hearing much better pastors than me preach the word of God. Um, but you haven't placed your faith in it yet. You're still on the fence. And I'd like to encourage you to consider the fact that it, it took mankind half of the book of Mark to profess Christ as Lord and Savior, after God, after spirits, after Legion did. Um, everybody had already beat them to that boat. Uh, but there's time. You know, if you've been coming to church for six months, six years, and you haven't really made that decision for yourself, it's not too late. You know, you didn't, the ship has not sailed. Uh, we're still all here. The trumpet has not sounded. We, there, there's no ascension of the saints yet. Um, there's time on this earth to get right with the Lord. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. And so 
I know we're going to be breaking out into small groups and discussing. And so if that's you, uh, I just implore you, uh, please consider that and what it means for yourself. Um, because a Samism is God's worth being right with. Amen. Yeah, let's, let's pray. And then we'll, I'll let, I think Scott do the small group stuff. Okay. Lord, we just give you praise today. Thank you for your son. God, you, you gave your son uh, as a sacrifice for all of us, all of mankind, while we were yet sinners against you, God. You, you did that. You made a way, Lord. You are a way maker. And uh, Lord, for all of us who have professed faith in your son, um, we thank you for the gift, the, the free, or not the free gift. It costs you everything, God, but it's free on our end. It's free for us to believe and to take hold of. And um, we're granted eternal life through your grace. But God, I, I do pray for anybody in this room who hasn't made that decision, God, to wrestle with that truth and that fact that you did send your son to die for us, Lord. Um, I pray that this was glorifying to you, God. I pray that it was clear. Um, help us to um, mull it over just the points that were made in the sermon in this, uh, this time, God, what it means for us personally. Everybody's list is different. Uh, forsaking looks different for each and every person, but God help us to do that and make those daily decisions just as your son did. And as Paul did, um, we praise you, God, we give you glory with this time. Um, we pray in your son, Jesus name. Amen.